The Week in Bible Prophecy, a Prophecy Watchers podcast. I'm Gary Stearman, along with Donna Howell. We're going to be talking today about her book. It's called Before Genesis. Donna, uh, it's, it's going to be a great talk because there's a lot in this book, right? It, well, it, yes, there is a ton. It, the book actually does cover a lot of topics everywhere from the theology and the science that is uh, uh, seemingly at odds, although it's not actually at odds, about what's being described um, in the very beginning of time around the, the time of the great cosmological origin of the universe and what happened before Genesis was even written. What happened before that? And that seems appropriate because we're getting all kinds of conversation about UFOs and UAPs and people visiting here from other galaxies and sci-fi and movies. And it's sort of been embedded in the, uh, the human psyche these days that <clears throat> we're being visited by other people from other times and other places. And uh, we're coming from a biblical perspective. And uh, what does the Bible say? And a lot of people say, will we'll go out of their way to say, you know, the Bible doesn't cover the ancient, ancient, ancient past like millions of years ago. The, the Bible goes back a few thousand years, and that, that's the beginning point. Uh, but really, I believe the Bible has a lot to say about the whole sci-fi mode, uh, modality of, of uh, explaining the human psyche. In other words, uh, we, go to, we go see those, those sci-fi movies, we read the sci-fi books to understand like where man came from and where he's going. Well, we've got the Bible. And the Bible is our source. It's our... Um, expertise. If we have any at all, it comes from there. And yet a lot of people say, well, the Bible really doesn't talk about those long ago and far away things that science fiction likes to talk about. Well, I would beg to differ from that. And I, your book, Before Genesis, uh, covers that, I think, rather well. Yeah, I appreciate that, actually. So when you look at when you look at where where were we? What were we doing before there was Adam? You know, there's so many different communities that would answer that question differently. Yeah, there's a secular scientific community that say we would that would say we were still evolving from primordial soup to monkeys to, and so on and so forth. And then there is the Christians. Uh, they are largely going to come from the young Earth creationist perspective. And that is that is different from the old earth creationist perspective. The young earth typically, uh, you know, it sees the earth in the ballpark of six to 10,000 years old. Mm -hmm. And it says that prior to that, there was nothing, right. uh, nothing but what God would have ordained there to be that we don't know about because the Bible doesn't say anything about it, or that's the running narrative. Then there's the old earth creationist uh, voice that says, no, you know, not all science is wrong. Obviously, not all science is right either, because to paraphrase something that Werner Heisenberg always said was that we are not, when we look at nature, we are not observing nature as it really is. We are observing nature through the lens in which we can, in which we are capable of even observing it. Wow. So everything, our method of questioning nature is the lens through which we are seeing nature, not nature itself. 
So it's not that what we're seeing is actually there. It's that what we're seeing is it, it's, it's just entirely what can we take this information to mean in our limited, finite human capabilities? What do we make of it? Well, we only, we, we, you know, we've got this scientific theory over there, this theory of time or the space continuum or whatever. Everything that we observe has to go through the lens of everything we've established as a scientific theory or hypothesis before. And that's a limited thing. God in his infinite wisdom is so, so far beyond that. I mean, there's nothing that limits God to our. Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what does that say? He he created uh, the heavens and the earth at the atomic level, or maybe the subatomic level. He created particulate matter and crafted it in such a way that uh, it, uh, a certain result would happen. And we don't have a, a clue uh, when it when it comes to that level of creation. Although we fool ourselves a lot of times and say, "Yeah, we I think I understand what God did." And our scientists are now beginning with their electron microscopes and so forth to see at the molecular level. And so they're figuring it all out and how it came together, and they'll be able to duplicate it. And, and my response is, uh-uh. <laughs> oh, no. Right. Uh, not, right. At all, not at all. And I think that's your response, too, right? Yeah. Well, and so when when you take the topic of young Earth versus old Earth and you 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 say, what happened in the very beginning? That answer changes dramatically depending on the, the community that you're listening to. Science has its answer and the young earths do and the old earthers, uh, creationists do. What I, what, what Tom and I wanted to do with this conversation was to say that those groups don't actually disagree or headbutt as much as you think they do. When you get down to the very, very bottom of what each of them are saying, there's bits and pieces of truth in all of them, which makes the, it, <laughs> Which actually brings us to this. Re, when you look at the very beginning and you kind of repaint the picture, you see a new chronology that kind of develops in the beginning. How long ago? I don't know, billions of years, millions of years ago, however long, you know, most observational science demands or whatever, you have the very beginning of Earth. And then this enemy of God, known as Lucifer or Satan, whatever name you want to put on him, the one who, who said, I will exalt myself above the Most High. This enemy of God came in, took what God had created, formed his own uh, revolution with the, his own revolutionary leadership up upon that planet to turn it into something that it wasn't. He warped the DNA of what God had created. We see this in Genesis 6, 4, but it, that might not have been the first time it happened. So back up to before the time of Adam, he warped what God had created. And is it possible that that's where things like dinosaurs or the bipedal human looking type cre creations that we have from the fossil eras that most people would would consider the missing link of the Darwinian uh, evolutionary timeline of humanity? Well, if you just believe the Bible, and I, my Bible's open to Isaiah uh, 14, which is a classic statement, <clears throat> how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, uh, describes an action. Uh, Lucifer, the basically the son of light, or the one of light, Lucifer, 
Okay. And in other words, he was a an originator of of something great. And he was obviously worshipped. And he obviously occupied the heavens or heaven because he fell from there. And then it says <clears throat> uh, his idea when he fell was, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. So right away, Satan had a problem. And it was the ultimate pride problem. And I'm going somewhere with this because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what this says is <clears throat> it, it validates what you, what you were saying just a moment ago. He said, I'm going to ascend above the heights and I'm going to be like the most high. And then there's that, that famous stroke of doom yet. Uh, I shall be brought down to hell, the sides of the pit. In other words, absolute destruction because of what you did. And when when you read this, you have to say, okay, where does this fit back into Genesis? Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, 1, 3. Um, because uh, it starts in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this Isaiah 14 quote must have happened sometime after that and probably before Adam and Eve were created because when Lucifer came into the garden he was already, already there. he was already fallen so how do we put this all together right that, that's the question and and that's what your book is about basically that's right yeah to reconstruct and and again and I, I go back to uh, I go back to something I was starting to say earlier this is how we end up finding that the old earthers and the young earthers actually have more in common than they thought. Hmm. Because you start with in the very beginning, and then God created the earth, Satan fell and took, took minions with him who also fell with him, and they corrupted what was the original earth. And then it's almost like you see this moment where God intervenes. He puts the smackdown on everything that's going on. In fact, science even acknowledges the snowball earth theory. It's this theory that in the very, uh, at some ancient period, our earth was covered in water and the water was frozen. Well, it specifically refers to things in the book of Job. It specifically refers to a very ancient time when the earth was frozen. And and so you have these verses that actually also do describe this. So the, what happened next? What happened next? You get into this moment where God brings the judgment down upon the earth and then he recreates it. How long ago does he recreate it? How long ago does he bring it back to its original glory? If the young earth crowd sees that as approximately six to 10,000 years ago, I have no problem admitting that it might have been six to 10,000 years ago, but that doesn't mean that it was the original earth. So we have more in common than we think. Yeah. And, and interestingly, as you talk, I, I go back to an idea that, that popped into my head at least once a day, and that is that when you read the Bible, it's all about a problem. Something happened that that's problematic. And then as you turn page after page after page and go all the way to the end of the Bible where it says, and I saw new heavens and a new earth for the first heavens and earth had passed away. The whole book is devoted to A, a problem having happened, and B, there's a solution to the problem. God created Adam and Eve and, and the Redeemer came out of that bloodline. 
and see there's going to be a new creation. And, and so that whole picture, giant picture, uh, comes to, comes popping into focus when you talk about the things you're talking about right now. That's something that cracks me up is since, you know, I've I've been doing this research for, for far longer than the book's been out, of course, and I've had conversations with some uh, conservative Christians that have said, that's insane to imagine that Earth was here in the very beginning, and then it fell under a Luciferian order, and then God restored it at the time of Adam. That's just insane. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Well, yeah, there are a number of verses that do point to that being the truth, right. first of all. But why is it insane? Do you realize it, you know, fellow believing Christians, that in the book of Revelation, it happens again? God restores the new earth in the book of Revelation. So we already know that it's a matter of God's nature to rescue earth and create the earth anew when something befalls it. Even it says in the Psalms that he restoreth the face of the earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and restoration is the big word. I, I'm turning to Ezekiel over here, 28, uh, 15, referring to Lucifer. And, mm -hmm. and it says, thou wast perfect in thy ways. You know, I'm reading the Jacobean here, the King James. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity, iniquity was found in thee. In other words, Satan was flawed. And we could go on and on about how he fell and why he fell, but he fell for right. sure. Right. He was flawed. He was not God. He would like to be God. He would like to take God's place if possible, as would every revolutionary. I mean, we stop and think of about Karl Marx and then and the people who came after that, Lenin and, and uh, Stalin and Adolf Hitler and Mao Zedong and all of these people kind of are little models of, of Satan. Mm -hmm. They're very, very flawed people, extremely flawed, but they think they're perfect. <laughs> and that is a pattern that was that's set up in ages past in the Bible. Yeah, well, it's 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 the it's the same age old pattern. The Luciferian order from the very beginning is repeated throughout history. Humanity tends to want to do very bad things with power. Yes, and when you look at what Lucifer or Satan originally did with that power, it involved humans in Genesis six four. And this, this goes back again to the nature of the Luciferian order, this idea that, that, that earth is going to be Lucifer's right. and that he's going to do something destructive with it. It's not hard to imagine. First of all, we know that it happened in Genesis 6-4. If you take the interpretational uh, view, the supernatural worldview identifies that what occurred in that moment was that daughters of men, human women, um, had uh, interrelations with fallen angels. And what came of that was a hybrid fallen angel, human hybrid offspring. That may not have been the very first time that Satan <laughs> did that. Yeah, and I think that offspring is documented in ancient mythology. We yes. call it mythology, but the Greco-Roman uh, mythology and before that Assyrian uh, Syriac mythology mm -hmm. all talks about these these weird people. Mm -hmm. um, half God, half human. They're called gods. The Greeks called them. The Romans called them gods. But when you read about these gods, you read about a bunch of really flawed characters. Uh, they were they were all uh, so full of themselves, and they were all angry, and they all got you know they fought each other, they killed each other, they 
enslaved humanity, and, and let's face it, the whole Greco-Roman school of history is based on those gods. Well, who were the gods? And you go back to the Bible, it says, you know, the, the sons of God came in and married the daughters of mm -hmm. men, and, and mm -hmm. horrible things ensued after that. And I think that those horrible things come down to us um, uh, kind of uh, historically noted as the gods, mm -hmm. the, the Greco-Roman gods and others. Yeah, so it's not quite as mythological as we would want to put. Exactly. And 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 that if you do, and it's not just the Greco-Roman pa uh, pantheon. It's every pantheonic religion since the dawn of time. They all identify something that isn't natural. First of all, um, a half this, half that god, half god, half bull, half you know, these these weird kinds of monstrosities. Well, if you look extra biblically as well, it's not just the Bible and the Genesis four epic and the ver and the supporting theology and verses to that particular time, but it goes back even further than that. There's um there's I know the book of Jubilees talks about it. Mm -hmm. Eusebius, the the yes. historian, talks about it. Um, some of the uh, cave four of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Book of Enoch. Yes, the Book of Enoch and yeah, Melchisedek. You, you got a bunch of uh, renegade angels who come down on Mount Hermon. But they but they frequently take a view of these particular. These particular ones I just mentioned, they take a view of something that was happening on the earth and beasts were eating each other and they were all half this, half that, and it was just a monstrous time. They're looking at the particular time they are looking at is the without form and void era of earth's history. So Genesis 1, Genesis I mean, Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, that moment that's described in, in English KJV language as without form and void. Those words in the original Hebrew, without going too deep, sorry, those words in the original Hebrew, without going too deep into the, gra the grammar on all of them, we can suffice it to say those words, tohu vabohu is what they are in Hebrew, are coordinate with judgment. They cannot mean simply that God was in the mid-state of creating earth and he's eventually going to turn it into something else. It means in the beginning, the earth had become a, an uninhabitable wasteland of chaos. Because of the fall mm -hmm. of Satan. And and he fell because of pride. Uh, and and by the way, when the Holy Spirit of God refers to him, it uses this again back to to uh, Ezekiel twenty eight fifteen. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. Now that's a mouthful. Because what do you think of when you think of Satan? You certainly do not think of perfection. You think of, of the most evil creature in the universe and worshipped as the dragon in a lot of countries to this very day. You know, the Chinese New Year, they worship the dragon. But the dragon they worship is not someone who is perfect in his ways. He's a fire-breathing monster and you don't want to get in his way. Uh, and so he fell, meaning he was not like God. That is to say, he, he said, I believe Satan thought of himself kind of as a creator at the level of God. He thought, hey, I'm good enough. I can probably take over and do what God is doing and do a better job. And he was totally, totally duping himself. 
And the narrative of the Bible is built around that idea. It happened to Satan. It's happened to humanity over and over again. And it can happen to you because you are a creature born in sin. And there's no way out for you except one way. And that is if you follow the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom I have provided for you. I gave my only begotten son, and he was the solution to this entire problem we're talking about here. This book that you've written before Genesis states the problem very well, I might add. Thank you very much. And, and extremely well documented, and I'm a fan of a well-documented book, by the way. But what I'm trying to say, putting this whole big picture together, is... <clears throat> Everybody would like to think of themselves as perfect, and Satan most of all. He, Hey, I can be like the Most High. In fact, I can be a better Most High than the Most High is. And, he, and everything crashed and burned after that, and there, we're still in the process of the cleanup as we speak. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and in and, and, and many areas of the Earth's, uh, right now, places that you can go and visit right now, uh, archaeological dig sites all yeah. across the the earth that are radiocarbon dated to be anywhere uh, between you know eight thousand to fifteen thousand years old, and some of them older than that. We're talking about built by with the hands of other cr men, create creatures. We're not sure just exactly who they were. Well, yeah, no, we we don't. But there's there's hidden intrinsically in these sites is something we can't describe. First of all, some of the stones that were moved were moved from a quarry 10 miles away over land and water. And they they are anywhere for, like um, in Baalbek, we've got one that is 3.3 million pounds, est an estimated 3.3 million pounds. And there are no wheels big enough. There were, uh, you, okay, we're talking pre-pottery Neolithic age here. Yeah. A human is not even smart enough to construct a clay pot, but they can move 3.3 million pound stone from a quarry several miles away. We, we see some of these things going on um, in Gobekli Tepe and Karahan Tepe as well. And a lot of these old sites, here's the thing, over and over and over again, we have serpentine or dragonian type iconography built into these sites. Serpent worship everywhere. Yeah, there's a big one, Sachsehuaman, uh, with a wall built of stones such as you're describing. And each of those stones weighs, what, 100 tons? And how you can't carry those, even with today's equipment. And furthermore, the figurine or f figure of a serpent is built into that stone set. And how did that happen? And how did it happen in a pre-pottery time? How did it happen by regular humans, when, what, in a, in a, in a polycart civilization? So, you know, even science cannot explain. Even our secular sciences, who often come forward with an explanation or at least a very believable theory on everything, cannot explain sites like Baalbek and Gobekli Tepe. But you know what they do say about these sites? Is that it relates to, the, to Genesis-like theology. Stories like the, and I put air quotes around the word mythical. Yeah. <laughs> but that it relates to these ideas that at one point, 
There was something that was serpentine in nature, impregnating women. And these women ran over here and they had strange babies. These stories are being told in stone in, in places that uh, the secular scientists are, are noting are very, very old prior yeah. to Adam. They and predate Adam's birth. I have to insert this too. A, very few people have read Greek mythology, and, and I happen to have read it over the years because I'm kind of fascinated by it, how it fits into history. But there are a lot of Greek heroes who came down and took women, earth women, as wives and had children mm -hmm. and uh, began whole cultures out of that union mm -hmm. and built, built great cities. And in other words, Greek mythology echoes what the Bible definitively states, that the sons of God came to the daughters of men. And that's where I think where the old Greek gods and goddess, uh, goddesses idea comes from. Uh, it comes from that very tragic, miserable uh, era in, in uh, humanity. And it was a long, long time ago. Dating it? How can we date it? Well, and that people are trying to do that right now. You're talking about Gobekli Tepli. And how do you date that? Right. Well, I mean, there's a there's the radiocarbon dating, and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of young Earthers um, that do see the Earth as a very very young planet. They kind of want to rail repeatedly against uh, radiocarbon dating as a science and and decide whether or not it's relatable. I mean, it's reliable. Um, but whether or not it is, there are still a lot of things going on on this planet. Soil layering, uh, rock strata, river yeah. sediments, all kinds. And, and, you know, whether or not uh, the space is as constant and and the speed of light and 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 situations of space are as constant as we want to peg them for being and that is certainly a longer conversation that could go into 25 different pig trails but we even have like the distance from earth to stars and the redshift that can be measured those are those are there's too many things going on right now to say very simply put all the science is wrong and the earth is very young well, either all the scientists are wrong, or God is is and He's God is a very tricky God, as as you and Tom have had that conversation very many Here times before. Have. He created the Earth to appear old, but it's in fact very young. That's a, that's the tricky God idea. Well, God is not a deceiver. God is not. He doesn't prop himself up to be a liar. So why would he? Why would he create an Earth that looks very old and is very deceptively young? <laughs> You know what I mean? There's the, that question, too. Well, in, uh, on the cover of your book, you've got a quote here from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, Commentary, 1871. And i got to read this quote. It says, This globe, at some undescribed period, having been convulsed and broken up, that, that's a mouthful right there, was a dark and watery waste for ages, perhaps till out of this chaotic state the present fabric of the world was made by God, to arise. In other words, ruin and recreation. Right. Now, this is, a, in some places, some quarters, a hot topic, I suppose, one could say. Uh, for me, it's not a hot topic. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to get all worked up about it, but it does help me to understand <clears throat> creation. Uh, Adam and Eve and, and and their child and their children 
and what happened to those children and the bloodline that runs from <clears throat> Adam and Eve all the way through the Old Testament to the little city of Nazareth where Jesus was born. And you can trace the bloodline. And that bloodline was the solution to the entire problem. In other words, the birth, birth of Christ came out of the bloodline that originated, if you will, in the Garden of Eden and went all the mm -hmm. way to Mary in Nazareth and the birth of Jesus. Jesus is born, <clears throat> and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he demonstrated that, and he de demonstrated something that had not been seen for a long, long time, namely the solution to the problem, which we're talking about. So Correct. it's a beautiful story for yeah. me. And that's one of the things that I, I think has always been my goal, even when engaging in conversations like this that appear at the onset to be, you know, uh, perhaps unimportant or a fringe topic, a theological non-essential like uh when how old is the earth and what happened before genesis and all of all of these kinds of things my goal still comes back to evangelism my goal is still bring jesus to the for forefront and a person may not typically look at this particular conversation as something that a conflict can call a person may not typically look at this kind of a conversation and think that this would accomplish that but essentially it's built right into it because if a person was to approach the Bible, can I give you an example in Galileo's day? Uh, oh, yes. Okay. In Galileo's day, there was uh, the, the idea was straight out of the Psalms. That it says in the book of Psalms that God hath formed the earth, he established it, and that it cannot be moved. Okay. That's a provisionary statement, but it was taken literally at the time, meaning earth does not move. So... Earth is at the center of the universe, and all of the planets and the sun rotate around it. That is a model called the geocentric model. It's false. It's demonstrably false. We know this. But at the time of Galileo, he got to looking through his telescopes and putting two and two together and saying, no, since the time of Copernicus, we have known that the, or the, at the center of the earth or the, uh, the universe, the galaxy, is the sun, and everything rotates around it. And I might add quickly here that it did not go well for Galileo after he made that statement. No. What he saw through his telescope said, uh, my friends, I have seen such and such through my telescope, which demonstrates the following. And what happened to Galileo? He was thrown into the slammer. Yeah, house arrest. For the rest of his life, he had to recant all of his work. He was forced to recant, to to essentially say, never mind, I was wrong. To pay no attention to all of the things I've said before. It didn't go well for him, but here's what happened to the lost in those days. They approached the church and they said, my eyes tell me that, that the way you are interpreting this psalm that says that the earth cannot be moved is not correct. And so... Since that's what the only way that I can accept the Bible is to accept geocentrism, which is not even true. If that's the only way I can accept the Bible, then I'm sorry, but I think the Bible is bananas. I cannot accept the Bible. The Bible is no longer relevant in this scientific age. This is hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And Galileo, for 300 years following the time of Galileo, the church stuck to their one prized pet theological understanding that the earth is at the center of the universe. Now, here we are. It's 2023 moving into 2024 soon. We know the heliocentric model is true, which is the exact opposite of that. It's that the sun is at the center and, yes. and the planets rotate around it. 
Um, we have no problem looking at that verse in Psalms now and saying, okay, that verse is a provisionary statement. The earth will not be moved because God is protecting it. It doesn't mean a literal science. It's not making a scientific statement. Okay. If we could do the same thing with the issue of young earth, old earth, before Genesis, you know, if we can look at the Bible and say, this is what secular scientists are saying. It's not always true, but it's not always wrong. And this is what young earth is seeing. They have evidence that something happened six to 10,000 years ago. Yeah, that's probably true too. And then we have a very old, old planet. If we can make Genesis relevant to the secular world and stop insisting that they, that if, that the only way that they can believe in God is if they believe that the earth is only six to 10,000 years old, then Genesis gets relevant. And when Genesis gets relevant, Genesis 3.15 gets relevant. That's the promissory note from God to man. There is coming a Messiah. His name is Jesus. This is what he's going to do. These are the prophecies that he's going to fulfill. Everything gets really close and personal to the Christ story if Genesis can be relevant in a scientific age. And I might add, and that was a, a very good summation, but I, but I would like to add that as, from Galileo to the present, we have uh, perfected means of observation. Uh, and we have huge telescopes. We go into space. We orbit the moon. Uh, we send uh, little rovers to Mars that take samples. And every time they do, they discover not perfection, they discover uh, chaos. Uh, they discover that there have been explosions, there have been uh, floods, and then followed by droughts, and the planets have cracked wide open, and the moon is cratered. And in other words, the whole solar system bears evidence of a, uh, a collapse of some sort. Mm -hmm. But of what sort? Well, read your Bible. I believe mm -hmm. it all mm -hmm. tracks back to uh, that uh, that old serpent who said, I'll be like the Most High. I'm going to take the whole thing and make it better. And what did he do? He almost destroyed it. But for uh, God's intervention. <laughs> and, and God provided the solution. And that's the Bible. That's the Bible we read. It also makes sense, too, why the, the intervention that he provided uh, th through the blood and the sacrifice of, of the son. Yeah. When you look at that, that's all of a sudden, everything connected to this earth, everything connected to this metaphysical reality, this earth that we live on right now, the salvation that we receive, it's not tied to this body, this life. It, it's that other one. Yes, It's beyond. And so... <laughs> It's actually really beautiful because you look at all of the sin-stained history that marks the planet we're living on now, and isn't it great that, at, well, not only are we getting a new earth and a new Jerusalem in the end, but that the eternal state, it, it's not even related to what we've got going on now. <laughs> exactly. Now, what we do have going on now uh, that's fascinating to me <clears throat> Uh, and, and if you look at it, I, and I don't care where you look, Russia, China, the United States, Europe, wherever you look, <clears throat> men are saying, we have high tech, we have artificial intelligence, we have uh, satellite technology, we have uh, the ability to control climate. 
global warming, by the way, <clears throat> we have the ability to, to renew this old worn out globe and make it brand new again. And we'll establish a brand new rule on this globe and it's going to be paradise. Uh, and, and that's what's going on right now. And you know what? That's just a reiteration of what Satan said. You know, I'll, I'll make this place a paradise. Well, what happened? He did not make it a paradise. He, he made it a scene of consecutive destructions, one after another, mm -hmm. after another, after another. And by the way, we're headed for still another one, mm -hmm. as given in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. So what can I say? Uh, looking way, way back gives you a look into the far, far future. I love the fact that when you uh, open your Bible, up front it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you turn to the back of the book, it says, and I saw a new heavens and, and a new earth. earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away. So it is going to get fixed, but it's yeah. not going to be the fallen one who fixes it, believe me. That's right. That's right. And that's what we're talking about. And that's what the book is about. Before Genesis, it's something horrible happened. Mm -hmm. And and this this book that you've written, Before Genesis, is a documentary in, in a way. <laughs> highly, highly uh, footnoted documentary. <laughs> well, we, we did, we did uh, end up taking our time to get through that one. And uh, I got to tell you that so far, those who have read it are most interested in our conclusion about the dinosaurs. So I will share that very, very briefly, that the idea about the dinosaurs, when you have Lucifer, this serpentine, satanic, early rebel, that he was the representative of possibly the aquatic. Now, that gets into some gray matter. We've got we've got some scholars that do see Leviathan and Satan as the literary device speaking to the same uh, character. Hmm. But then we have a lot of scholars who say that they are not the same thing. But when you look at the, the different areas of creation that are represented, like in um, Ezekiel and again in Revelation, when you have like these, these watchers who are representing different forms of creation, you have one with the face of an eagle that that's the you know the aviation world and you have one with the face of a man that represents human humanity or humankind um and then one with the ox which is is more or less the domestic animals that serve humanity you you've got these kind of creation res representatives but you don't have one that is over the reptilian or the aquatic species right so the theory goes and this is just a tom theory i understand it he got a lot of these ideas originally from you back in the day you 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 guys kind of pep peppered back and forth on this one for a good decade and a half. <laughs> but the theory being that the fifth watcher, that he might have been, that Lucifer might have been the original watcher, the creation representative over the reptilian and the serpentine species. Um, and that if you, if you throw that in there and look at it for what it is, when he fell, so did the reptiles, so did the serpents. What happened to the dinosaurs? Well, by the way, the dinosaurs were the kings of the earth. If you look at all of mm -hmm. those, they were not just gigantic, but they were they perfected in, in many, many ways. They were armor-plated. They had great defenses. They had great methods of, of operating. Uh, they were a cut above. In the world, the world of dinosaurs, which now that world, the, the reptilian world, has fallen into absolute disgrace. So everything, you know, 
falls into place if you look at it in the right way. And you know what was also interesting? It could be that because you can't believe absolutely every scientific journal article that you read. But one area of research that I had not even considered that was very interesting to me in the research that we had done for this book was that even secular scientists now are acknowledging that in the very, very beginning, dinosaurs were something different. They weren't originally fearfully great, as the etymology of the word dinosaur mm. means, that they were originally approximately the size of a St. Bernard uh, or a German shepherd, and that something happened that changed not only their biology, but also their diet. They were possibly, science says, possibly uh, herbivores. All of that there were no carnivorous dinosaurs in the very, very, very beginning. So something changed their anatomy. What do we see in Genesis 6-4? We see Luciferian order entering the scene and changing the anatomy of both fallen angel and human together in a hybrid thing that had not existed before. So what are dinosaurs and where did dinosaurs come from and where did they go? And if we are it, under the purview of this restoration theory, the idea that God put the kibosh down on the original fall um, and restored Earth at the time of Adam. If we look at it like that, why were dinosaurs not created then? Because, again, assuming that the science is real, they, they went extinct 66 million years ago. I, I realize that there's a lot of people that are in the young Earth crowd that do see evidence that suggests that they got on the ark and they died out because of, there was a lack of vegetation on the Earth's surface or there wasn't enough meat to eat when they arrived or you know got off of Mount Ararat. And there's all of these different theories. But if, just for a moment, let's pretend it's true that they died out 66 million years ago and that all the science that, that stacks behind that is correct, why? were they not recreated? Because it's very possible a dinosaur, as we know it in the cartoons, the big T-Rex and the sharp teeth and the carnivorous, monstrous, uh, savage-like behavior is not anything that God would have created to yeah. begin with. That's Absolutely. why we don't have them today. <laughs> and uh, again, it would be hard to imagine man up against the dinosaurs. <laughs> I mean, today's men mm -hmm. uh, with can tanks and cannons could do the, do the job, but but uh, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, if there were dinosaurs roaming around the land, you wouldn't want to be there. That's it, right. They yeah. would definitely dominate humans. But I, all of this is fascinating because it illustrates one thing. <clears throat> it illustrates that uh, from the Garden of, of Eden, uh, where God very carefully prepared humankind a little little baby came from that and and out of of that genetic line came a savior <clears throat> and humanity as weak as it is and as prone to various kinds of failures and and diversions and whatever as humans are uh, humans are still going to be the solution to the problem because there was one human born from among them who had the solution. And uh, the solution, of course, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And when you look at the big picture like that, <clears throat> and you look at all the ruin of the past, and one little baby, and mm -hmm. one, one line, genetic line that came up to Christ as the solution to the problem, uh, the wisdom of God uh, just 
comes to its fullness. It's just amazing how he's chosen to solve the problem. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, we've been talking to Donna Howell. <clears throat> and by the way, uh, many of you know Tom Horn. Of uh, well, Mention the ministry again, the ministry in Crane, Missouri. Yes, we actually, they're established there is uh, our Defender Publishing, which is our publishing house. And that handles all of the books. And then we have um, Skywatch Television, which Tom is CEO over both. And uh, Skywatch Television is how we interact with the public and how we promote our books. And then off to the side, kind of around the corner, a lot of people are aware of it, but not everybody is, uh, is Whispering Ponies Ranch. And that is our youth retreat facility where we work with um, youth that have been taken out of troubled home situations. They're foster children or wards of the state. Um, and they travel to our ministry at Whispering Ponies Ranch to interact with not only our trained faculty and staff, um, and camp counselors, but also a whole ranch of everything from ponies to a small petting zoo, cows, the whole nine yards of, of therapy animals that are trained therapy animals. So, And Donna Howell, <clears throat> Tom Horn's daughter, I'm sure you had many conversations with Tom, and I've had many conversations with Tom over the years. Always very exciting because he's got a mind that just never stops. <laughs> he just keeps going and going and going. And uh, and out came the book before Genesis. And it's been really interesting to talk to you. And let's do this again. Huh. An extreme pleasure, epic pleasure, an extreme honor, an epic honor. Thank I'm, you very much for having me. You're welcome. I'm Gary Stearman of Prophecy Watchers. We'll see you soon. <laughs>